Well, what I want to talk about today is called the road to Jerusalem. I don't know whether you know very much about Jerusalem at all, but uh, Jerusalem has actually gone quite a high sort of mountainous sort of area. And no matter which road you want to take to get there, it's uphill. Not always that, not always that great. And in Jesus' day, it was very... Uh, it was narrow, dusty trails winding through rugged terrain, often thwart with a lot of danger. Is this still... You want me to swap over? Okay. Let's crack this off. There we go. So Jerusalem was a windy, narrow trail and to get there was often quite dangerous. And so... But Jesus, it was a journey for him that he could not avoid. For the whole of mankind was waiting for him to walk walk it, even though they didn't realise it. Everything was at stake. He had to walk this journey. And so what I want to do today is just look at a snapshot of that journey to Jerusalem. And I want to have a look at it because there's so much in there that we can learn on our journey to Jerusalem, if you like. Jerusalem is the church, if you like. It represents the church. Now, it's not a building. It's us. We are the church. And there is a process. And sometimes it feels like up going uphill. There is a process that God wants to work in us as we're obedient to him to walk that road to Jerusalem as Christ is being formed in us. Well, you know, over the last couple of months, we've been talking a lot about dying to self, laying things down, taking up the cross and following him. It's not an easy subject to talk about. It's not an easy process to work through. And often our minds can't figure it out. If you try and figure it out, what what Greg and others have been talking about, up the front with your minds, you'll never grasp it. You'll never see it. And so we have to open up our spirit man. We have to open up the eyes of our heart and activate our spirit to be able to see in the spirit to actually grasp what is happening. Otherwise, we will miss it. You know, our flesh will cry out. Our flesh wants to cry out. It's all about our wants, our rights, our this, our that. But the kingdom message is often different to that of the world. We have to lay things down. It doesn't mean we get people to walk all over us, but it's our heart submission to Christ that's really, really important. And you know, there's a bigger picture to understand and a bigger picture to see. And God is doing something very significant in our midst at the moment. And yet it doesn't always feel like it. It doesn't always, in a sense, look like it. But God is working significantly among us. But it's a road that we've all got to take, our road to Jerusalem. You know, if we don't, you know, so often it's so easy to take our reference points from the world, from what we see and work out naturally. And that's why God wants us to open our eyes so that we can see And God is breaking down a lot of worldly mentalities in order for us to enter into what he's currently doing. And, you know, everything changes as we walk with him. You know, because God is trying... You know, if you're feeling uncomfortable right at the moment, if you're feeling awkward about a lot of different things, that's actually good. That's actually good. Why? Because God is getting our attention. And if you're feeling awkward in here 
and uncomfortable and you think, oh, I'm not sure about this anymore, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure about that, that's exactly what God wants you to be. Because God is getting your attention. God's saying to you, hey, I want you to wake up. I want you to do something. I want you to cry out to me. And I want you to listen for my voice. Rather than just walking just a normal road. You see, if we just go by our feelings, guess what? We will always look for greener pastures elsewhere. And the fact is then, well the truth is, that we will miss what God wants to form inside of you. Because there's a huge process that God wants you to do, and wants to go through in you, to form Christ within you. And so we need to be able to get our focus off how we feel sometimes and look up to him and see the bigger picture. You know, two years ago, things were being turned upside down in this church. Things were being, you know, God was putting his finger on certain things. And so, you know, Greg was you know, closing this down or doing this and doing that. And there was a lot of awkwardness. You know, people left and all sorts of things like that. There was like, as I said in my sermon a couple of weeks ago, it was like God had taken the carpet from underneath us and pulled it and we're all scrawling on the ground trying to get our feet. But you know, God's dismantling things around us that are actually killing us and we don't even know. Man-made programs, all those different things, he's removing so that his spirit can work and you know, rule amongst us. It's an incredible thing when we catch that in our hearts. And so, there was, after a while, it sort of settled down. And there was a buzz about the place. And it was good. And people were catching revelation and doing all sorts of things. Seeing people who had never caught that before were suddenly, wow, I'd never seen that. And people were stepping out in faith and it was a great time. But now God is saying, I want you to lay it all down. But God, can't we stay where we are? I mean, it's quite nice what we got. I know there's so much, a little bit more to come. Well, in fact, there's a huge amount to come. But we get trapped in the thinking of, well, let's camp here. It's nice here, but let's camp. You know, when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, they camped on the other side of the Jordan. They could have stayed there, but there was a river to cross because there was so much of their inheritance to receive. Some of the tribes wanted to stay there. There's so much more God has for us. That's why we have to see the bigger picture. And the process that we're going through, even though it's hard, is vital for us more than what we realise. Sometimes we have a terrible fear that, you know, to lose what little we've gained instead of seeing the bigger picture and gaining that, there's so much more, so much more greater things. But sometimes we want to hold on to that which is dying instead of taking hold of that which is living. And I just sense in my spirit that we're entering into an autumn season. Things have been okay, but the green leaves that are there at the moment are starting to wither and starting to dry up and they will fall to the ground and form the rich compost that we need for the seasons ahead. But those leaves need to drop and they need to be nurtured into the ground. You see... Spring and summer can't come unless autumn and winter precede it. And that's what we're going through at the moment, where things are having to be laid down again at his feet. 
Do you remember that prophecy? And I probably don't have it exactly word for word right, but it said, what we were is not who we are, and who we are is not what we will be. Isn't that, that was a tremendous one. We had quite a few prophecies, David McCracken and one or two others, that came here that talked about the transitions that we were going through. But that prophecy about what we were two years ago is certainly not what we are today. We've come a long way and God's been changing hearts and renewing us and helping us in so many different ways. But there is that temptation to stay where we are. And let's crystallise what we've already got rather than moving on to what God has for us. It's all part of the journey. And God is moving constantly. Man, we don't want to be left behind. We want to enter the season and willingly lay back everything down so that we can settle for something far greater and experience him in a greater way, him being formed in us. You know, even I was quite happy with the way things were going. I was quite happy with things. You know, I knew that we had a long way to go, but I could see things churning and changing. But God challenged me even more. He said, my ways are not your ways, nor your thoughts my thoughts. But are you able to trust me for the season ahead? I thought, (laughs) gulp, yeah. You see, we have this picture of what we think the church should look like. We have this picture of what we think it should be and then God suddenly messes the whole thing up. And we've got to allow him to do that. But it feels uncomfortable. It just feels a little awkward because we don't always know what we're walking into. But can we trust him for the season ahead? I sense God's asking us that today. I want to encourage you all. You know, we're all in this together and God wants the best for us, but it means learning to lay our lives down and become that community of people who become Christ-like from the inside out so that when the world looks at us, they see him and not us. We were born to be carriers of the kingdom. God gave us that capacity. We were born into this kingdom to carry his dominion, to carry his lordship, his presence, his power, his love. But that only comes when we get out of the way and the world can experience him flowing effortlessly through us. This is the kingdom in action because we paid a price to let him in. We want him tagged onto us. But we have to actually get out of the way. It's not a matter of him tagging onto us. We've got to actually tag onto him. You know, even the disciples struggled with this. The disciples had a terrible problem of understanding what Jesus was about. You know, have you, have you ever told a joke and about ten minutes later somebody starts laughing because they've got it? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know how Jesus feels when he's talking to his disciples and they're thinking... Uh, uh, and then suddenly they're thinking something totally off the scale and they haven't got it at all and he's got to tell it to them again. You know, so be encouraged. You know, sometimes we, not, we may not get it straight away, but it comes as we journey together. You see, their worldly thinkings and traditions often clashed with those of the kingdom. And because of the blindness around their hearts, they couldn't always understand what was happening and the changes that was, was going on. But you know what? The key to what changed them 
was that they stayed with Jesus through the process. Through the process, they did not leave him, but they stayed with him. Right throughout the various different seasons that they faced, they were with him during it. And guess what? They changed. So as a community, when we stay together and we walk together, some may struggle here and there. We help lift them up. We encourage them. We get alongside them. You know, there's all sorts of things happen when we link arms and we help each other. Guess what? Changes begin to happen in each and every one of us. That's why it is so important for us to stay on the journey. And guess what? Going in one direction. Not in a whole different different directions, going here, there and everywhere. No, he wants us all to walk together as a community in one direction. It helps. And so, I struggled at the early stages of my journey when things were happening. I wanted great programs. I wanted the status quo. I wanted things to be popular. This is a number of years ago. I wanted this and I wanted that. But as I stayed on the journey with others that were walking through the process, guess what? My heart was changed. I began to see what I'd never seen before. You know, I thought, oh man, I could never see what they see. But as I stayed with them, suddenly my eyes began to open. So I encourage you to stay on the journey together. Can we trust them for the next part of the journey? Well, the disciples were going through what they thought was great guns. I mean, everything was going well. I mean, Ticketek was doing a roaring trade. Wherever Jesus went, you know, it was sold out. They couldn't get enough people around him. It was fantastic. The disciples thought, this is great. You know, people were getting healed. Uh, people were getting fed. Taxes were paid. They didn't have to worry about that. All sorts of things were going on. They felt fairly popular, really. They felt pretty good. And so their worldly minds was, surely Jesus at some stage will step up and get rid of the Romans and then we'll be free. And then we can govern and rule and, and just have a great time. But they didn't understand the bigger picture. They didn't see in the spirit. You see, they saw a lot of signs and wonders, but in truth, it was only a small part of it. There was a bigger picture to take hold of. And in order to get there, there was a road to Jerusalem that awaited them. And they didn't see it. You know, when Jesus, we've heard a lot about Jesus saying, come, follow me. You know, in the Greek it had three levels of different meaning. Listen to this. The first one was to follow as an attendant or a servant. You know, there was no heart engagement. It was done out of duty, following. Which snail are you? <laughs> the second one was to accompany. And there was an ancient tradition of it was polite to follow someone on part of the journey. You remember somebody saying, well, how, long, how far do I go with my brother? And Jesus said, twice the, twice the distance. It's talking about going on the journey. But it was only out of politeness. But there was a third one, to join as a disciple, to cleave steadfastly, conform wholly to his example in living and, if need be, in dying also. When I read that, I thought, whoa, what am I? Where do I fit in all of that? And this is pretty challenging stuff. So let's 
look at some of the genealogy. I'm going to read just a little few verses here and there and paraphrase some of it. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Now they were all on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was going before them. And they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And then he took the twelve aside again and he began to tell the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and and, uh, scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And on the third day he will rise again. If we go down to verse 46. Now they came to Jericho, and as they went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he is calling you. And throwing his garment aside, he rose and he came to Jesus. So Jesus answered, answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, that I may receive my sight. And then Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the road. The first thing that we see here is that they were on a road. You know, it's easier to move a steering ship than a ship that's not moving at all. So it's important for us all to be on the journey, on the process of allowing God to really start to touch our hearts. You know, there's, the amazing thing was, who went before them? Who was going before them on that journey? Jesus. He said Jesus had, was going before them and they followed. You know, in our journey that we're going on, be encouraged because Jesus has already gone before us and he will never lead us into something he's never already been into. So we can trust him for that journey. Anyway, this. There are a lot of things that can happen and distract us along the way. I wonder what things distract you from the journey. I wonder what things that cause you to turn this way or that way or go in a totally different direction. But anyway, he's gone before us. Isn't it interesting? It said the disciples had mixed emotions. They were amazed at one moment and they were afraid the next. Ever had mixed emotions? Wow, God, you're doing something amazing here, but I'm not too keen on actually going through with it. We can have all sorts of different emotions. They couldn't grasp it in their minds. They couldn't work it out. Why end a good thing? That was what they were really struggling with. Why end a really good thing? But his ways are not our ways. And notice Jesus took the twelve aside on the road and he spoke to them about what would happen to him. Now why didn't he take everybody aside and say, hey everybody, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to be doing, you know, all this is going to happen to me. What do you think the crowd would have done? 
You'd have had a riot on your hands. He starts to download his father's plans to them. And he knew that these 12 had the capacity to actually receive what God was doing, even though they didn't feel it at the time. And you see, we've got to understand in the fivefold ministry too, with the apostles particularly, God downloads certain things to them that they won't to the others. And it's for them to break it down for us to receive. But that, that was pretty heavy stuff what he was downloading. And sometimes we don't have the capacity to receive it straight away. But apostles, when they do receive something like that, have the capacity and the enlargement to carry that and then to download it. So it's important for us to have a revelation of what the fivefold have and the importance of it, but we can uh, that's for another day. But because they see from a heavenly perspective where we don't. Jesus made it very clear of what was going to happen to them. In fact, it says it was the third time that he was trying to tell them what was going to happen. And you know, sometimes... We have to hear it over and over again to get it into our spirit, man. Because sometimes it can be all over the show where our minds can get distracted, our minds can get waved off here and there, and we can't always grasp it the first time. But Jesus had said this was the third time that he was downloading it to them, and still they were having trouble with it. So if you're struggling today with what's happening here, just be patient. Allow God just to... Work within you and to open your eyes as you go on the journey. We're all in it together, amen? Suddenly there was a crash. What the disciples thought and what God was doing right now, there was a, there was a huge difference to what they wanted and what he had planned. You see, how can we expect heavenly, heaven to invade earth if we ourselves want to hold on to earthly mentalities. You know, God was turning my world upside down. And there's always a part in us that want to hold on to something of the past. There's something in us that gets very secure with what we always did. And we have to lay it down for us to enter into the new. It's not always easy. The disciples didn't change, uh, like the change either. They thought that Jesus was mad, that he'd flipped, that he'd lost the plot. Somehow deep inside him they knew that Jesus had set his face towards Jerusalem and was willing to, to go on the journey. There was no going back. And in this place there is no going back. God is leading us and we must no go, not go back. His heart was set on doing his Father's will even if people didn't go with him. And that's amazing, isn't it? You see, Jesus didn't worry about the, the size of the crowds. You see, crowds will take you here and there, won't it? But Jesus had his mind, his heart set on doing his Father's will. And you know, when we get into God's presence and start to allow him to transform our hearts, there's something in us that wants to press on through to what God is doing, even if it's difficult, even if others don't follow. Are you still prepared to trust me on the journey? This was not an easy road for Jesus to take. And the closer he got, the heavier the burden became. And the disciples picked it up and struggled with the whole thing. 
And it's a funny thing, there's a little bit that I didn't read in there, but Jesus is pouring his heart out to them about what was going on. And immediately it says that two of them pulled him aside and said, hey, um, you think we could sit one on your right hand and one on your left hand? What had that got to do with what he was doing? Sometimes we can get so caught up with so many other things that we miss what he's really wanting to say. I, I want to encourage you too that I don't know whether you heard Greg's sermon two weeks ago and he talked about the cup, the cups, the four cups at the Passover meal. That was really amazing because here it is in this thing here. He, he replies to them and says, you know, can you drink the same cup that I'm drinking from? And he says, yes, they will. But there is that whole thing. I really encourage you to listen to that because that was really, particularly the fourth cup and how they had to drink that. This was not an easy road. Then it says that they came to the city of Jericho. And this is what I really want to focus on. Jericho represents the walls that we build around our lives. The things that are around us that we build up and around us. You know, it said that when Jericho had the wall, you know, the gates closed, no one could get in and no one could get out. And sometimes we're very good at building walls and things around our lives so that no one can get in and no one can get out. And yet God is wanting to put his finger on things and dismantle things around our hearts so that he has access to, to work in us and around us and through us. But we have to allow these walls to come down. It says, as they passed through, it says a great number of people were gathering around him. There would have been a lot of noise, a lot of activities happening as people tried to get a glimpse of this man called Jesus. It's interesting, a lot of churches have become like that in some ways. They want to get a glimpse of this Jesus that's somewhere way out there. There's a lot of noise and a lot of activity that takes place. But it comes back to what's happening in here. You know, there was a certain amount of uh, things that try and attract people, to try and keep the people around. But there was only one man that God responded to in all of that noise. In all of that, that stuff that was going on, the activities that were happening, there was one man that grabbed his heart. See, the crowd, Bartimaeus, you see, the crowd didn't move this man. He was a reject sitting at the side of the road, but he cried out with all his heart with an ache for change. And God's looking for a people who hunger for him. Not the external stuff, but hearts that are honest and open and realise that they can't change themselves. They need him. Bartimaeus was a reject in the eyes of the world, but God's not looking for perfection or so-called holy people. He's looking for hearts that cry out to him and say, God, I can't do this, but with your help I can. There was a cry in Bartimaeus' heart. There was something in here that was different. Do we have that cry? Do we have that hunger on the inside? You see, there's something about this man that I can identify with. And looking back over the last six or seven years or more, there have been a number of times I've felt blind, stuck by the side of the road and unable to proceed, feeling frustrated and confused. So if you're feeling in that place, I've been there. It doesn't mean that I've finished that process. There are still times when I feel, God, I can't see what's ahead. 
take that blindness away. And yet, whenever I've come to that point and realised how blind I was, there's something in me that has cried out to God. And that's how I've encountered him. When you're really desperate to walk this journey and you really begin to cry out, God, I need you. Show me. Guess what? God will do it. God will open your eyes. I'm realizing more and more how much I need to get out of the way and allow Christ to be formed in me. Look at Bartimaeus. He's such an interesting character. He was blind. And yet his, you know, it means, if you look at the word blind, it means apaic or smoky, physical or mentally. To envelop with smoke, to inflate with self-conceit or high minded or lifted up with pride. We can be blinded by a lot of different things. We can be sitting by the side of the road because of our blindness and not even know it. But you see, spiritual sight is so important because revelation comes through having sight. Seeing beyond the natural and coming into that place of understanding transforms us on the inside. If what we hear doesn't transform us, it's only knowledge. We don't want knowledge, we want life-changing transformation taking place. His name means um, diakonia or whatever it means. It says, well, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. But in the Greek, it means, it's where we get the word deacon from. Deacon. To be an attendant, to wait upon, to minister. You know, here we go again about this, you know, do, the danger is when we do things and it overtakes abiding in him. We can become blind. We can do things but never experience him. And so we need to be able to you know, allow God to go deeper within us so that our perspective has to change. But listen to this. The second part of his name, son of Timinius, means highly praised, unclean, to be private, in secret, hide, to conceal and cover up. Hmm. <laughs> It's interesting. Sometimes we don't even realize we got that there sometimes. And we cover things up. And that's why God wants to strip things away. And sometimes God puts his little finger on certain things and we want to keep those things. And God's saying, I want you to let them go so that I can work within you. Why do you think God is dismantling some of the things around us right now? Because we can allow certain things to come up and they can be idols in our lives. They can be this or they can be that in our lives and we can allow them to become bigger, if you like, than God himself. And when God suddenly touches that thing, suddenly something rises up into us and says, how dare somebody touch this? It was an area of my life that I was protecting. And God's saying, I want you to let it go so that you can walk in new freedom that you've never had before. Can you trust him for the next part of the journey when God does that? There's something in us that our flesh has to rise up and defend its position. And God's saying, hey, lay it all down. I've got something more for you. Anyway, let's have a look at what happened and how this man transformed. And I think these are actually 
amazing step of going from blindness into sight. How did he do it? The first thing was the Bartimaeus asked a question. Hey, who's coming? What's happening out there? He asked a question. And now if you're not sure of what God is doing in this place and you can't quite figure it out, guess what? Ask a question. It's the beginning point of your journey sometimes, asking questions. I saw a quite incredible documentary the other day on Galileo and how he formed the telescope and things like that. It all started by him asking a question. And God places that within us too, the ability to inquire of him. Ask a question. And in Bartimaeus, there was a genuine desire to know. It says that he heard a noise and a commotion of the crowd. But it wasn't that that satisfied the deep hunger on the inside. It wasn't the superficial exterior things that drew him. Suddenly there was a stirring in his spirit that had been dead for some time. He didn't even understand it all, but he knew that God's presence presence wasn't that far away. And suddenly he wanted him. Now why are we drawn to church sometimes? Is it because the music's going really well? Or is it this or that or, or the entertainment? This man did not listen to the noise around him. But he listened that Jesus was coming and his presence was there. And that's what he desired. You know, when you're drawn to a church because of the children's ministry or if you're drawn to a church because of the great, I don't know, this or that, you know, the same thing that draws you in will take you out. But if you're drawn here because of God's presence, it's different. Because we're called to be part of a family. What happens if the music suddenly stopped playing? We didn't have any music for it for a month or two. What would we do? Well, I came here because of the music. Well, let's hope not. <laughs> I came because of him. Suddenly it says the light and revelation suddenly started to come to him. He finds out from the crowd that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Notice what happens. Why did he cry? You know, what did he cry out? He asks, he says, hey, who's coming? And what do they answer him? Jesus of Nazareth. But what does he cry out? Yeah, son of David. That's not what they told him. But there was something in here that his eyes were starting to happen. Something was stirring in here and he calls out, son of David, have mercy on me. That was the recognition of what they called the Messiah. There was something stirring and awakening. The the crowd said this, but he said, hey, there's something here. He saw beyond the crowd. Never seek your revelation from what a crowd thinks. Because sometimes they're on a totally different journey. And some of that crowd weren't even on the journey. But seek the revelation that will change your heart personally because when God speaks to you wow things change but if I just hear that God's changed Simon's heart and and Kirk's heart and Mel's heart and things like that guess what wow it's fantastic them having a thing but I'm still out here I'm still way over here and everything's happening over there but I want God to change my heart I want God to stir my heart 
I can't rely on other people for it. But there was, this is only partial sight because he calls them later teacher rather than Messiah. And I found that there's different levels of blindness and I've spoken about this before, there's different levels of blindness. We have to keep breaking through. Even I find in my own life, I thought it looked like this and God takes it away and says, no, it didn't look like that at all. And there's different levels of blindness that we have to break through. So that we can see the bigger picture. The crowd said, be quiet, control yourself, don't make a scene. After all, he's not really interested in you. He refused to listen to those that may have been on the road, but not necessarily on the journey. And you see, there are people that are keen and hungry to be on the journey. And it's those people you need to hang around. It's those people that you need to ask the questions to. If you ask somebody that's not on the journey, how are they going to answer it? With a different reference point. And sometimes we too can have that mentality also that we're not good enough to cry out to God. We're not quite good enough, so we're still a beggar over here. God will never listen to us. And yet he refused to believe the lies but instead began to grasp hold the truth that Jesus was the truth and he was willing to contend and fight for it. And that cry went out beyond what others thought. He had one single purpose and that was to pursue Jesus with everything that he had. That word for crying out was something that was deep, deep within here and he cried out with everything that he had. It wasn't just a little, oh, Jesus, um, you. <laughs> and guess what? When he cried out, you see, he said, have mercy on me. He was willing to repent. He was willing to say, hey, my ways are not your ways. I- I'm willing to lay it down. What I've done in the past has caused blindness in me. I want to lay it down. I repent. I want you. And guess what his cry did? Jesus stood still. Imagine that when you cry out. The king of the universe having lots of things to do and you cry out and say, God, I don't understand what's going on but I want you to touch my life and to change me. I repent of my blindness. God, I want to see. Guess what? God stands And he looks down and he sees you and he says, that's my son, my daughter. And even now, the adequacy, the feeling of not being good enough or worthy enough, you know, God says, that's my son, that's my daughter. And I see them crying out to me and I want to touch them. Isn't it amazing when we do that? And this man did that and Jesus stood still. Jesus commands him next to come to him. Guess what? He obeyed. If you want to walk on this journey, sometimes we've got to. Well, not sometimes. We have to learn how to obey what God says. But God, I don't want to go through the process. Can't we have a lovely dovey time? Can't we do this? Can't we do that? But God's saying, I want you to come on the process. And he called him. Are you prepared to come when he calls? It's a big question. So he obeyed. Guess what he did when he obeyed? Number one, he threw aside his garment. Do you remember Johnny's sermon about two years ago? Throwing off 
that which was comfortable for him that held him where he was. He threw that garment off and threw it onto the ground. That was his safety net. That was his warmth. That was everything to him. His comfort. And yet he was prepared to let it go. And in this season, when God's dismantling things, we have to allow God to let us to let it go so that he can do his thing in us. The second thing that he did was that he rose up. He changed his posture. And we can be sitting along the side of the road. We can be there for quite a long time and yet God wants us to rise up. He threw off that weight of the garment and he was suddenly free to rise up. And if you're sitting there today and you're struggling, begin to allow your spirit, man, to rise up. Throw those things off. The I can't. I'll never be able to hear revelation. I'll never be able to walk what others do. I can't hear from God. Throw their blanket off. And then begin to rise up in your spirit, man, and allow God to interact in here. Learn how to speak in tongues. Learn how to pray in the spirit. Suddenly the eyes of your heart begin to open. I'm almost done. His deep desire. Oh, see, Jesus comes to us. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, come on, Jesus. Isn't it obvious? I could do with a mansion where I don't have to get a whole lot of money in all the time and I could live in comfort for the rest of my life. Come on, Jesus, isn't it obvious? The fact is that his desire was deeper than superficial. It was to see, to have his eyes opened. And I pray that's your, your, your desire today. You know, in one version it says, he says, teacher, that I may again receive my sight. Isn't it interesting? So maybe once upon a time he did actually see. But somewhere along his journey in life, suddenly he lost his sight and ended up on the side of the road, unable to walk the journey. It's very hard to walk a road when you can't see what's happening in front of you. But he lost his sight. But now he wanted to regain his sight. I pray that's your heart today. But this is probably the most important point of all. Jesus says to him, go, he heals him and says, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Look at this. Jesus gave Bartimaeus a choice. Isn't that interesting? He gave him a choice. Either to just do what he always did and carry on doing that lifestyle, but the fact is that that led to blindness. Or he could follow him. And God will never force himself upon you. He will always give you a choice. Which road are you going to do? This way or that way? Isn't it interesting? Sometimes, you know, well, there's this big question. When we get healed, what will we do with our new sight? 
when you suddenly begin to see what God is doing, even though it may not look that great to the natural eyes, what will you do with your new sight? His way or God. Sometimes we think that the healing and it is an end in itself, but really it was only the beginning of his journey. And there is something far greater awaiting us. So which journey are we going to take? There's something all powerful. There's something powerful when we all walk the same journey. We can all be on a journey, but not necessarily the same journey. That's why as a church, you know, God wants to walk together in the same direction. They were able to help each other. We were able to pick each other up, encourage each other. When one is down, lift them up. So they're all going through the same process together. And you see, the thing is that he followed Jesus on the road to Jerusalem. His newfound sight could cost him his life. It's a big cost, eh? Sometimes that's what God is asking of us. Are we prepared to lay everything down? And trust him. That's a big call. Even in my life. Thank God. Once we see and taste the kingdom, there's no going back. We suddenly see and grasp. I mean, once we see it and begin to grasp it, you don't want to go back to what we had. There's so much more. So much more. And I've only caught a small glimpse of it. And there's so much more. And yet only that small bit has excited my spirit. It turned my world upside down, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. It changed me on the inside out. But I saw it and I thought, I can't go back to what it was. I want to progress forward, even though I can't see all of it. So what does a community look like when they've truly died to self? Have you ever thought about that? What does it look like? I mean, we see it in, the, I suppose, the book of Acts is some of the closest that we can see about it. But what they did as a community, you know, we're a product of their sacrifice to this day. How many generations is that? So how can we affect this world when we start to live for him and for each other in a way that we've never lived before? What is that sacrifice like? Well, I was trying to think about something I could show you or do something, you know, so that you had an, uh, some sort of idea. It's not an easy thing to, to picture up. But I was reminded about um, this particular film that I'd seen. I've read the book, and in fact the book is, is even better. But it's about this uh, World War II in 1941 and the Scottish Argyle Regiment were caught by the Japanese. They were defeated. And uh, Captain Gordon, was his name, wasn't a Christian at all. But he'd managed to get hold of a Bible. And this Bible was like gold. And you know why? Because he could trade it. He could rip the pages out for his... You know, somebody wanted a cigarette. Or if they needed it for loot paper or something like this, he was on to a winner. But people were coming to him and saying, what is that? What does it say? And he was saying, well, I don't know. <laughs> but God was starting to change something in here. And you know, as they went on in this camp, they became like animals. They went from their regimental people, if you like, into looking out for number one. That's what happens when the flesh rises up. 
It's number one. It's the survival of the fittest. I have to look out for myself. And what happened was that when somebody would die, they'd all fight over his clothes or steal somebody's rations. They'd only be fed once a day. And they were like skeletons. And they were fighting in bitterness between them. And yet one of them was a young Englishman. And this young Englishman was called Dusty. And he loved the Lord. He was only, I don't know whether he'd even, he was 18, 19 or 20, I don't know quite when. He was a young man. But he, went, he was working in the death house, which was the hospital. Anyone that went there never came out. But he gave sacrificially to these people and he nursed them and he gave them a desire to live. And then he started helping other people. And it started to change this particular camp right around. And he saw Captain Gordon one day, ill, dying on death's door. And he gave up his rations and everything to feed this man. And saved his life. You know that whole camp, not quite the whole camp, but most of them turned around. They found Jesus in that place and they lived for each other. They said, Captain Gordon said, we lost everything. Our pride, our possessions, our freedom in some ways. And yet they had such life because they had God. And they said it was the most incredible time they'd ever had. You know, that freedom cost some of them their lives. The young man, Dusty, gave up his life to save somebody else that should have been executed because he'd committed murder, killed some of the guards. And instead of that guy being executed, he actually went and gave his life instead. They took him outside the camp and they crucified him because they knew he was a Christian. And the whole camp was just... You know, how could somebody do this? And the Japanese guard, the really mean guy who was really hard, had tears pouring down his eyes thinking, how can this be? How can they do that? You know, but God carried on in that place. And there was such a love in their hearts, not only for them, but also for their enemy. I wonder if you could play this, just this little clip. Thank you.